Hey up, it's the podcast. Hey, it's uh, my life. Uh, sorry, did I steal it? Cooper's here, Butler's here, Reed's Hello. here. Cooper, Reed, and Butler, that well known firm of solicitors. Had an accident, not your fault. Cooper, Reed, and Butler. <laughs> it's always your fault. Normally <laughs> is when somebody has an accident. What's everybody been up to? What have we been up to? Still kind of unpacking, really, and moving in. That's how it feels to me. <laughs> really mundane. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's sick of hearing about <laughs> it's this <laughs> office move, but when honestly, the... we're sick of it as well. Yeah. Trust me. It's we're lovely. I mean, we're, we're loving the place now, though. We are. You've we made are. it all homely, haven't you, Stuart? Yeah. There's a big shit on the kitchen floor. Big shit on the kitchen floor. Party territory. Loads of cross-stitch everywhere. I haven't been on the podcast for ages. No. You haven't? Why? Um, and Too good since for it then, now, aren't you? It's been nominated for an award. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that correlation? Uh, I don't know, but congratulations. Thanks. Well done. Thanks. You're part we, won't, of we won't get it. No, of course no. not. No, we never get it. We never um, get it. A podcast that no one listens to will probably get it. Yeah. So, Or, or uh, whatever John Blythe's doing this year. Yeah, whatever yeah. John Blythe's doing this year. He's yeah. a good guy, though. Yeah, he's a nice he guy. I'm actually going to look up where we are in the iTunes store. Go on, then, you do that. You, Tom, are you excited about our special guest today? Uh, Nick Pope is... Uh, he. Uh, not, I, by the way, not a Pope. Not a Pope, or he is a Nick, though. Uh, but I love UFOs, and I love um, extraterrestrial stuff. When I was a kid, like basically, I would, I'd read books like Ugh, all day nerd. all day every <laughs> day and mainly too. there were books about ufos um crystal skulls um because spontaneous human combustion which we've mentioned before yeah. uh ghosts anything like that so i'm very excited to finally meet nick pope the uk's answer to fox Mulder. um <laughs> but probably more handsome yeah i've interviewed him before and he's, he i talked to him about sort of famous ufo sightings and yeah. uh yeah, he's just, uh, he's a good guy. So all, the, all that to come a little bit later. Have you found out where we are on the listings yet? Actually, I don't think this is a very good idea because it's a week since the last episode came out. So right. that would affect our rating. It's kind of difficult it's with hard the to ratings know, really. because it basically, if a new podcast lands, that normally goes to the top of the charts because everyone wants to well, download it. Football Weekly is always at the top. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, that's about football. Yeah. Can we make this about football? No, it wouldn't work, would it? We don't do it for the ratings. We don't. We don't do it for the for the plaudits. We do, do, it, do it for the chicks. We do, <laughs> no. We do it for you, the listeners, because we know you yeah. love it. All twelve of you. <laughs> so this week, then, it has been uh, widely reported that uh, GTA Five has a multiplayer mode. Well, kind of. Um, so GTA Online, it's almost like it's a different game. Stuart. It's what? It's what? So when you. It took me a while just to get my head around what it actually was. So when you buy GTA V on the 17th of September, two weeks later, you will get access to something called Grand Theft Auto Online, which is this huge persistent world, which is based on the architecture and look and feel of GTA V. So it'll have a lot of the same gameplay and locations. We'll have all the same locations, right? What, sorry? It'll have all the same locations. Yeah, so it'll, 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 have, it'll have right? that same map, but the plan is over time, it's going to grow, they'll add to it, and you start your own character. So kind of like a World of Warcraft, like a traditional MMO, you'll start your own character in that world that you'll earn money, you'll be able to um, customise that character. And the kind of really interesting thing for me was um, Leslie Benzies, who's the president of Rockstar North, yeah. where the game's developed in Edinburgh, said that over time the plan is, you know, they've built it without limits. And over time they can add more areas, other countries, we could do an entire world. So imagine in three or four years' time if they added an expansion which was Vice City. 
or Liberty City, and you could get on a plane in Los Santos and just fly there. So, uh, I mean, the, the possibilities are quite exciting, but you're limited to 16 players per game, so it's not really like Warcraft in a sense that the world's populated with uh, other gamers, right? It's yeah. just 16 players. I, I guess you I think make, I kind of right? like that. Yeah. I'd like a world with 16 of probably like my mates. I'd need to get 15 mates. Yeah, you'd need to... Need have, to you, have you got 15 mates? No, that's what I'm saying. I need like... F- some friends first, but then I'd love to do that. Like a lot of multiplayer, I always find, I always think this would be really good yeah. if I had friends. It's like Christmas. I think this would be really nice if I had a family. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think the most exciting thing for me is the sort of the level creation stuff, which they're sort of teasing. Well, you like a good level editor, don't you? I do. Me? I think it's, well, I don't know. I just think it's nice to give people the tools to be creative. And if we're talking about sort of... It's just little big planet for... I think the best... Grand Theft Auto. I mean, that's just, I just that's so the, exciting. The, best way to describe it's just to list some of the possibilities so if we were playing gta multi um gta online I should say at lunchtime we could if we wanted just go let's just go play golf and we just play golf all lunchtime in gta online right, right or we could say let's go rob a bank or we could go parachuting together or we could go dirt tennis bike, yeah tennis it's a bit like real life isn't it it's better Stuart. is it yeah because when you do your killing yeah there's no consequences. So it sounds there, like... Have there been any consequences for me no, so you've, far? No, you've done really well. Yeah. But, you, but you you know all about acids. <laughs> it sounds like uh, they've taken, obviously, a lot of what they learnt with um, Red Dead and Grand Theft Auto 4's online multiplayer and Max Payne and then sort of thrown it all into one <laughs> massive gone. great thing. And we going to do this. Yeah. So you unlock it two weeks after the game launches. Do you think that's dependent? Do you think they've done that because they want to give people the chance to explore the single player? They haven't started it yet. Or they're <laughs> like, shit. Or they need two weeks to do two it. weeks to um, finish it off. I'm, I'm not sure why. I, I wonder if... It's mind-boggling to think maybe. that it's, it's coming out next month. And they've only just announced what the multiplayer is. And nobody's played it yet. And no one's played it yet. <laughs> I cannot wait for it. It seems weird that there's not going to be even a beta. I, mean, I guess maybe the two weeks of launch, from launch onwards, there'll probably be a select number of people who will be invited to try out online. Yeah. What um, would you do, Tom? What would I do? Yeah. In the game? Yeah, what would you do? Like, we fire it up first day. What are we going to do? What would you can want you, to do? Can you harvest fruit? Animal Crossing. Wow. Still playing Animal Crossing. Um, you shoot it off a tree. Uh, I don't know. I'd quite like to... T- You'd have to do a heist, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think the heist would yeah. be the ones I, that I want to do. I'd ask if everyone wanted to come scuba diving with me. Yeah. They, apparently they're going to populate the, uh, the underwater world for multiplayer like later down the line. I think basically what they're saying is that it's going to be an ongoing project that people will be able to dip in and out of. So the interesting thing would is this, this then basically becomes GTA. There is no GTA 6. This is kind of the baton, the kind of You think they open open up the world and if you've got GTA 4, sorry, GTA 5, they just keep adding worlds to it. Yeah, and if maybe maybe GTA 6 does come out, but it is like, it is Vice City. And if you buy that, that gets sucked into online and I don't know. But obviously the thing is, it's coming right at the end of the the life cycle for PS3 and Xbox. Um, So does that mean that that they're going to expect people to carry on playing it when they've got these new consoles under their TVs. I, I find that very unlikely that... I don't know. I just It just feels weird that they want to build this persistent online world 
right when that world is coming to an end, almost. I mean, people will obviously keep hold of their Xbox 360s and their PlayStation 3s. I wonder if it is transferable, though. I don't know enough about the technology behind it. I think you'll probably get a good year out of it afterwards, because that, that console sort of crossover will, I'm gonna will take a long time to sort of fully transition, yeah, right? I'm going to get cornrows and tattoo my face. In real life? Uh, yes. Um, can you play tennis in Call of Duty? <laughs> Um, yeah. In theory, no. Right. Um, why did you say that? Because there's been some other nonsense about multiplayer about Call of Duty this week. And yeah. I was wondering if that is as, is, is as involved as the GTA. So Call of, Duty, Call of Duty Ghosts we've known is coming for a long time. What yeah. they haven't really revealed is much about the online multiplayer, which they lifted the lid on on, thir- on Wednesday in a huge event in America, that uh, IGN attended, along with a million other people. Um, like select bunch. A select bunch of people. Um, they got to go and have hands-on with the Call of Duty multiplayer, which they revealed. So some of the things that are coming to Call of Duty multiplayer uh, includes destructible environments, uh, remote-controlled drones. Um, the dog uh, is he's coming to uh, multiplayer. He's going to be a reward. There's a new mode called Crank, which means that... Um, you have a certain perk which gives you certain abilities for a limited mm. number of times, and once the countdown times out, um, players explode. It's a bit like that Jason well. Statham movie, isn't it, called Crank? Yeah. Um, there's a search and rescue mission uh, mode, which is similar to search and destroys. Um, dog tags are back. Um, <laughs> I like that, it's search and rescue. It's like, it's like search and destroy. Imagine if the actual police force and life co- um, lifeguard kind of adopted their mentality. We found him. Destroy him. <laughs> um, there's a you don't just customize your loadouts, you can also customize full squads of soldiers. Uh, there's squads mode, which has been announced, which gives you sort of squad versus squad mode. Um, there are safeguard, which is a four player co op mode where you take on waves of uh, enemy AI. Squad assault, which is a six player co op mode, which pits the players against the squads of offline players controlled by AI, um, and all the XP earned in squads goes into your multiplayer, blah, blah, blah. The most exciting thing is basically that female players are now... Uh, you can now play as a female soldier in Call of Duty multiplayer. It's going to go down well, isn't it? What do you mean? <laughs> I, just can't, I can all already imagine a lot of the, uh, a lot of the responses from the, from the 12-year-old fat American kids. If it's they, an 18, they, Stu. I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm trying to say that kids play COD. Yeah. Um, but what, do you feel like... Well, I think it's, it's are they not damned if they do, damned if they don't yeah. here? Because if they don't include female characters, it's sexist. Yeah. And if they do include them, it's misogynist. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably worth sort of saying I'm, that... I'm, not, I'm just saying it. You no, know, but what it's, do you... What, what should, I'm pleased they're putting him in there. It's just the, the torrent of shit that's going to happen because they've put them in yeah. there. Yeah, so you have no problem with... Stabbing women. Virtually. Within the context of deathmatch and all, built in all that kind of building, building and factoring all the context of it's a video game. It's a video game. They're not real people. I don't have a problem with it. You should shoot all people equally. Yeah, in old young dogs, especially. Can you can you shoot the dog in this game? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but look, I mean, female avatars for Call of Duty is definitely a step in the right direction. Sure. Yeah. Okay, how, how the shouldn't be wearing laundry, Call of Duty though. multiplayer community will react to that, Daniel. How they will react to that is something that 
that Activision and Infinity Ward will have to monitor very closely. Mm. Um, but no, well done for them. What's good? Are we going to get female um, footballers in FIFA? Uh, that's a good question. Why the hell not? Huh? Why the hell not? Why, 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 um, why wouldn't they? I think Football Manager, which was announced this week, I think that's going to have a female league in as well. Um, I don't know, do you remember when Seth Blatter said a few years ago why nobody watched female football and what they should do? They should wear sh- sh- shorter, um, shorter shorts. That's Seth Blatter though, isn't it? That's yeah. because they, they, they don't change shirts. Seth Blatter, what? Like, that guy was president. He's an idiot. Everybody's an idiot. Um, so just... Taking it back to Call of Duty, uh, it's just worth saying that none of us here play Call of Duty multiplayer online uh, religiously. Um, <laughs> or so, at all, for fear of getting one's ass handed to one on a plate. Yeah, so... Um, but I thought they... Is there not like a, a sandbox mode now, or a simple mode for, for people that don't play it very often? Isn't the whole kind there of is, waiting there is, thing a yeah, lot better? Yeah, there was, where, like a training camp thing where you could learn how to get better, but um, it's, just, it's, a, it's obviously a time sink, which uh, none of us really... Well, we could do it at lunch times. We always say that, and we play a bit of carp, and then we give up on it, and we rubbish it. And uh, Ollie Moss kills us all when we play multiplayer with him. So with a bow and arrow, (laughs) with a bow and arrow, yeah, Um, like Predator. But yeah, one exciting thing that was came out of it is that there's now um, this whole cross generation uh, sort of transferring. So if you buy Call of Duty Ghosts on Xbox 360 and level up your multiplayer. Then if you then buy Call of Duty Ghosts on Xbox One, your XP will transfer over because you have a Call of Duty login and that... that They're going to do a lot of that over. sort of stuff. They're doing it with FIFA and Ultimate Team and all these... Yeah, and also Microsoft have uh, and, and Sony have have come out and uh, they're sort of backing this scheme where if you buy a season pass for DLC for a game, which is, say, Watch Dogs, if you buy it on Xbox or... Uh, on 360 or PlayStation 3, then your DLC season pass will transfer if you then buy it on Xbox One or PlayStation 4. So oh, yeah. um, that's that's now coming into effect. So Cool. Uh, Xbox One news. <laughs> um, well, it's everyone. now, it's no longer going to be in white, in black, it's going to come in white uh, in, a, in another dramatic turn by Microsoft. No, not true. Um Up. That could happen, Believable. Though. Yeah. If enough people said they didn't like black as a colour, then... Yeah. They, they would just go, what do you want it to be? Just tell me. In the name of God, tell me what you want. It's got three humps now. So what, what is the U-turn this time, Daniel? So it will no longer need connect to function, which is what they said originally. Connect would have to be... Um, Looking at in. you, yeah. spying on you 24-7. It yeah. was basically, they built it as it was integral to the experience, and that's also one of the reasons why they didn't well, originally they have, have a headset. headset. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the audio quality is that good of it, um, provided by the new Kinect. But now in a Ask Fuck Microsoft anything that we ran on IGN, they said, yeah, you don't have to have it plugged in. Console would still function, but obviously you wouldn't have some of the functionality. Does that mean that we are going to see a SKU where it doesn't come with Kinect, which would be a bit cheaper? This is what people are rumouring for Gamescom, which is next week, that they could come out and say, we're going to do your version without the Kinect. That is cheaper than or PS4? comparable to PS4. Oh. <laughs> so that would, make, that would that, make things very interesting. And it's that story a few months ago, the PS4 was going to include the camera in the box and then chose to leave it out so they could offer it yeah, at that but price e- point. Everything everything Microsoft have done up to this point has so heavily featured Kinect in all their publicity. And now all of a sudden they're just saying, yeah, you don't actually need to do that. Well, then when, if it has... Microsoft have been telling developers for the last couple of years that the next Xbox will come with Kinect... 
And some developers have made that the basis of their game or one of their core mechanics. Suddenly, to say it's optional really screws over those developers. Yeah. Um, Great, my game's not playable without another 80 quid investment. Fuck that. Uh, no one's going to buy my game. It'll be interesting to see what uh, what they come up with at Gamescom. They have also promised they've got something un- a unique exclusive to reveal, I believe, Microsoft uh, at Gamescom. So A blue charge yeah. and play kit. <laughs> We've decided we're getting out of the gaming industry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we fucked up. Sorry, guys. We're, we're just going to leave you to it. Can we start again? Yeah. Let's forget <laughs> that. All of that. So he comes out and goes, we don't fucking know what you want. Yeah. Just <laughs> going back. Oh. I mean, all, they've also, um, not to kick Microsoft when it's down, but they've also had to scale back the, the launch regions as well. They've also re- announced that it's not coming to certain Nordic regions. Mm. Uh, a lot of Benelux regions are not going to be getting the Xbox on launch. It's gonna, they're going to have to wait till 2014 to That's get crazy. it. That's crazy. It's a bit of a kick of the teeth for a lot of European regions. Now, is that just because they can't manufacture enough or is it because of their localization? It's a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting question. Hmm. I would say that it's demand... Uh, Outstripping supply. Oh, really? Yeah. So they've they've only made eight consoles and ten people want to buy them. <laughs> no, I'd say. W- would you not say that's probably a fair assumption? Or they just don't. The Americans don't care about this. They didn't factor them in. <laughs> they just went. Well, make it for America <laughs> and Europe. That's all one country, right? That's one country. Well, well that's that's a, that's you don't need region. a you don't need Steve. a passport for Europe, do you? Steve, Steve, what about Japan? Japan? <laughs> We're going to send it to Japan. It's going um, to do well in Japan. Yeah. Well, they're going to have to wait a long time for it to come out over there, if, if, if at all it even comes out yeah, over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just... I feel really guilty for kicking, for kicking this project. Yeah. You know what I mean? But how could they... Is there, apart from a Microsoft employee coming into your house and shitting on your floor, is there anything else they could do worse to, to but, fuck this up? Yeah, but um, you know what? Like, regardless of what we all think within these four walls and within sort of the IGN community, do you know what? The world out there has not followed any of this, okay? Like, the mass market of people who don't follow that and who see... Who will see... Advertisements. Yeah, who will see that Microsoft... uh, That the new Xbox One is coming and you see that on a poster in a tube station and you see that FIFA's coming to it and you see that Call of Duty's coming to it will go, well, it's a new one, I'm going to get it. And they will not have followed any of the ups and downs. You know, they will be completely oblivious to it. And that will be the majority of the people that buy it. I think, yeah. Am I not right? Do you not think... I'm all right. You are right. Yeah. You're always right. right. It's true, because, like you said, the power of advertising. People just go, coming up to Christmas, new one, better one. Yeah. There's all the things I like, but just more. Yeah. Get that one. You know, and if you've had an Xbox 360 for the last five years, yeah, you may have been pissed off because it read, read... Ringed. That's right, isn't it? That's right. Um, I was going to call Red Light of Death. Red red ring, red ring. Um, Then, like, yeah, you've probably been burned. but They don't get that hot, Tom. Sorry, yeah. Well, they do. They they do get quite... But if you've enjoyed your experience with Xbox 360, then you're just going to get an Xbox One, right? If you've enjoyed your experience with the Xbox 360, why don't you try the new Xbox One? Yeah. Yeah. Have you got that gig? I could have it. That's my pitch, right? What's your PS4 ad? It's Leonard Nimoy. I can't do that. Um, and, and similarly, if you've had a PS3 all this time and you see a PS4's come in, then you'll just go, I'm going to get a PS4. You know? It does, yeah. the, the parity now between the two consoles is ridiculous. 
like what they do and what they don't do. They is, should have just is, gone. They should have gone behind the scenes. Sony and Microsoft got together and just said, "Let's just make one console. We'll badge it as Microsoft. You badge it as Sony. Developers will save a fortune. Everyone's yeah. a winner." Yeah. Should have just that's, done that. That's what they've done. Is it? I tell you what, the difference will be though. We'll put a sticker in our box. Yeah. Yeah. Which one are you getting? <laughs> the sticker. One with the sticker. And the one with the, the Breville. Are you getting the shiny one or the? Matte if you had one? a Breville attachment, if you're getting that one. Uh, well, do you know what? Will was uh, who I sit next to Will, and he was telling me this morning. There's a, now a USB toaster you can get for your there's computer. USB everything you can get. So if you put that in the box, Sony, that cannot work. Because a USB runs on five volts, you cannot make a toaster run on five volts. You cannot. Um, um, it's, possibly you only, your it's possibly only the control mechanism of the toaster, so you can actually kind of control it via, via your computer. Save yourself the device and just put it in your Xbox 360. They get so, fucking so, hot. Because I was going to say, you can also get a USB fridge that's big enough for one can of Coke. Yeah. Could that not cool it on five volts? I don't think it would successfully cool it. Right, okay. It's all about heat exchange with that, isn't it? Yeah. And you've, you'd have to oh, generate yeah. a certain amount of heat. But it's probably, it's probably just a fan, is it? I don't care. Let's get the guest in. Um, yes. So time now on the podcast for a very special guest. We are joined by a freelance British journalist and media commentator, somebody that's been an employee at the British Government Ministries of Defence and uh, is also now uh, working on the Bureau XCOM Declassified. Welcome to the show, Nick Pope. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be on. So uh, what's this game all about? Well... The XCOM um, franchise is basically very popular. Enemy, um, Enemy Unknown was massive. And now the Bureau is the origin story uh, for XCOM. So we go back to 1962, the height of the Cold War, uh, JFK is president, and we find how it all began. So if, if you are a fan of, of XCOM... And if you like the 60s, the, the look, the feel, the music, um, yeah, everything. So it's fleshing out that world a little bit and filling in some of the gaps. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's obviously a challenging third-person tactical shooter, and it's great. So what do, what's your sort of role within the production of the game? Because like, I imagine you're like the UK's version of Fox Mulder. You like investigating aliens. And so what, do you advise or...? Well, yeah, because I investigated UFOs for the British government, um, basically what I'm doing is, is, I guess, helping to start a conversation and saying to people, look, the sorts of things that you see in the Bureau, when, when you have alien invasion, when you have a secret organisation set up to try and evaluate what's going on and fight back, the questions are, could any of this be real? And what do governments really know about ufos and would there be a cover-up a conspiracy so that's that's really my involvement so, so what you're saying what happens in the bureau is actually what happened in the 1960s the, well there are some um <laughs> there are some interesting tie-ins and i guess you know people have got their own views about whether there is or isn't a cover-up on the ufo issue but i think it's a matter of record that both the British and the American governments have been notoriously secretive and defensive about their involvement with UFOs. I mean, for years, 
the Ministry of Defence, for example, said, oh, well, you know, we only examine these reports to see if there's anything of, of defence significance. And then suddenly we get the Freedom of Information Act and we find that there's 50,000-plus documents on this, some of which were classified secret UK eyes only. Nick, let's just take a step back a second and just... Uh, what, what does something have to be to be confirmed as a UFO? Uh, which I assume still stands for Unidentified Flying Object, as it always has. They haven't changed the, 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 the acronym or anything, have they? No, they haven't, although uh, that's an interesting point. We tried to change it. But, yeah, a, a UFO is literally just anything in the sky that the observer isn't able to identify. Well, now, you, sorry, I was just interrupt, but what did you try to change it to? Uh, we tried to change it to UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Because, of course, the phrase UFO has so much baggage. I mean, mm. it's, it's become synonymous in pop culture with alien spacecraft. So you have people saying, do you believe in UFOs? In a sense, that's a ridiculous question. Yeah. You can't not believe in <laughs> UFOs. But what people really mean is, do you think that any UFOs might be alien spacecraft? Mm. Interesting. Interesting distinction. Uh, and what, 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 what's your take on that? Well, I'm absolutely convinced that in this infinite universe, it, it can't just be us. The laws of physics don't seem to vary in, in the cosmos. Therefore, the forces that, that shaped our planet and, and then the chemical processes that gave rise to life should replicate countless times in the universe. So it's inconceivable that we're the only life. And I'm sure some of that life is intelligent life. There are other civilizations out there. Whether or not any of them are visiting us, I don't know. But when you look at the UFO cases that they are on the files of the British government, the American government, governments all around the world, you, you certainly think, my goodness, there's, there's something here. It's not just aircraft lights and weather balloons. Mm. How did you get involved in this world in the first place? You said that you were hired by the British government to... How did that actually happen? How did that come about? Well, I was a civil servant in the Ministry of Defence, and I had joined in 1985. And this was just another, just another government <laughs> job. Um, but literally, I was assigned to that post. I could have been put pretty much anywhere, but they said to me, we have a vacancy. So you move around on level transfer or promotion every two, three, four years. And they said to me, we've got a job. I said, what's the job? And they said, UFOs. So, so is it, was it a top secret job at the time or was it sort of, because you say you're working within the government and it's just another department, but was, was what you were doing kept under wraps? Yes. I mean, part of the job obviously involved interfacing with the public I mean, because that's where you get most of your reports from. Um, although obviously we did get a lot of reports and pay more attention to the ones from police officers, pilots and military personnel. But we got a lot from uh, hundreds, hundreds from the public. So, yeah, we, we part of what we did was, I guess, open. But we would take their information. We would tend not to give information back. So we were obviously an inherently secretive organisation. And, of course, I was doing the UFO job way before the UK had its Freedom of Information Act. So, yeah, very little of this was made public. It's only now that um, with, with open government that we're seeing a little bit more. So you used to do this as a hobby before, before it became your job? No, not at all. I had no interest in this subject and no strong beliefs 
at all, which I think... Is why you maybe picked. Yeah, I, I, I think so. You wouldn't want to put a believer in that job. Neither would you probably want a sceptic. You'd want someone who went in and looked at the reports, I hope, in an even-handed way, and, and that was me. Did you, um, were there any particular hotbeds of UFO activity in the UK? That's a really interesting question. We tried to map it out and um, we ran all sorts of, of diagnostics and uh, we, we, did, we came up with the bizarre conclusion that London appeared to be the UK's UFO hotspot, not some archetypal lonely country road late at night. With light you know, lines, which, yeah. Yeah, and, but then when we thought about it, we realised, well, self-evidently, it's just population. If there's something strange to be seen in the sky over London, there are literally millions of potential witnesses. Mm. So it's very difficult. When you control it for population, um, you do get the odd hot spot, but they vary. Did you see any spikes after a certain like, pop culture event? So like Independence Day comes out or The X-Files becomes popular and reports kind of increase accordingly? Yes. I, now, I don't think that means that people are overactive in their imaginations and kind of making it up or anything. What I think happens is that when you get a movie like Close Encounters of the Third Kind that comes out, what it does is is creates an environment where fe- people feel more comfortable with talking about their sightings and reporting them. The big thing with UFOs is there is still sometimes a bit of a, a stigma about it. Um, people fear that they'll be disbelieved or ridiculed and uh, when you get something like The X-Files or, or Close Encounters or, or, you know, any movie that deals with that, people say, oh, OK, yeah, I'll report it. I suppose worse than something like X-Files, though, would be something like the Roswell autopsy movie, which, which, which is now obviously, you know, known as a fake. But when that came out, did you just immediately shake your head and think, oh, for heaven's sake, this has set the calls back or, or this is ridiculous or something like that? I immediately thought it was a fake. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons, and um, I mean, you know, but it was a an interesting film. I mean, what I think was fascinating about it was the way in which it did capture the public imagination so much, and and I mean, it really was a, a viral hit all around the world. But it was not just in the UFO community; it kind of broke out into the mainstream media, and I, I think you could read about it in in the Times and the Guardian. I suppose what's interesting as well now is, is with social media uh, and the fact that everybody carries a camera with them wherever they go, does that mean that the amount of sightings that have, are now dealt with have gone up or have they stayed the same, have they tailed off? They've gone up hugely. And I think if somebody sees something and then has a photo or a, a video to back it up, they feel, well, it's not just my word now, there's, there's something, and that may, means people say... I, you know, I'm going to download this somewhere and uh, people can decide for themselves. Of course, the problem is you get then so many fake mm. films put out on, on YouTube and all over the place. It's, it's, it's almost impossible. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, as I say. There is some good stuff out there too, but how you sort through it is... Uh, out of all the cases that you investigated over the years, is there one that particularly stands out as being particularly credible, interesting, one that stayed with you? Although it was before my time on the UFO project, Britain's best-known case was the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident from 1980, and I did a cold case review of it. That was incredible. That was just you know, mind-boggling. 
multiple military witnesses encountering not just lights in the sky, but at one point a metallic craft that actually landed in a small clearing in the forest. One of them got close enough to touch the side of this thing, saw strange symbols on the hull. When they examined the landing site afterwards, after this thing had taken off, they found indentations in the frozen ground where this thing had come down. They used a Geiger counter. They found that the radioactivity was significantly higher than background, and that was the official assessment of the defence intelligence staff at the MOD. Um, you know, absolutely incredible case. I suppose the Cold War was at its height at that time. So is it, what, what's the first thing that goes through an investigator's mind? Is it this is a, a foreign craft or this is an extraterrestrial craft? Well, we had a saying, it's more likely to be Russian than Martian. And <laughs> our default position was that, that we looked at this not, not because we were spending taxpayers' money on you know, UFO spotting, but because anything in the skies is, is, that's unidentified, that's not ours, is automatically a defence and national security issue. I mean, particularly when there's credible evidence, if our own RAF pilots are seeing them, if they're being tracked on military radar, as has happened on many occasions. So, yeah, we, we go in, in a sense, thinking maybe this is some secret prototype aircraft or drone that, that some other nation is, is using to test our air defences or to spy on us, or maybe it's one of our own, but just, you know, they're not telling us. So we have to check all that, of course. Um, a few years back, Stephen Hawking uh, warned about alien contact, like how we probably shouldn't be seeking it because it would be, probably be a bad thing for us. Do you think that's, do you think that's a fair assessment? Or Yes. I mean, I think his point was a valid one, and we need to have a serious debate about that because we might encounter extraterrestrials. Um, we have been a detectable civilization for decades now through our radio and television broadcasts. And if there are other civilizations in all our small part of the uh, galaxy, then they probably are aware of us by now. And Stephen Hawking, yeah, absolutely made the point. He said, well, it would be like when the European explorers encountered the Native Americans. Mm. Only this time, he said, we'd be the Native Americans. It's it's a valid concern, but in a sense, I think it's too late because, like I say, we have been detectable. So, in a sense, any civilization capable of threatening us is already aware of us. Yeah. Now, the UK government shut down its, its UFO uh, side of things in 2009. Is that right? That's correct. Now, is that because they don't feel that there is a problem with the UFOs anymore? It's because they were getting absolutely inundated... I think in the last year that the UFO project ran, they had about 600 sightings reported. And most of them were these wretched Chinese lanterns. So it, it was just really a way of, of and shutting down all, all that. What I think has happened, um, and I've spoken to pilots about this, is that, for example, if a pilot sees something unusual, it will still be reported mm. It will still be investigated, but people will use kind of code phrases like, I've seen an unusual aircraft, 
or an unconventional helicopter. And the other thing about that, which is a little bit sneaky, is that it's a way of circumnavigating the Freedom of Information Act, because that's the other reason the UFO project was shut down. The MOD was absolutely sinking in a sea of FOI requests on UFOs. It was the single biggest subject about which the Ministry of Defence was getting Freedom of Information Act requests. So far better to shut out the public and then say, for example, to the pilot community, um, you know, report them as near misses and we'll investigate them that way. I suppose as well the government can now just look at the whole social media side of things and, and, and monitor that rather than having to have people calling up and saying, oh, I've seen something. People are just going to shout about it anyway on Twitter or on Facebook, aren't they? Well, I, I think you've raised a whole very other interesting issue about the extent to which government is uh, aware of, of what's on your computers and what's in your phone calls. But uh, yeah, put it this way. I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, every single UFO sighting that is interesting and important, someone in government is already aware of it. Does... Um well, obviously, we know that there's contingencies in place for like nuclear war and things. Do you think there's there's actually contingencies in place for if there was a confirmed alien landing somewhere in the UK that the government has a specific way of responding? I doubt they've put it down on paper because it would be almost inconceivable the you know, the panic, uh, the outrage, the scandal that, that would arise if a piece of doc- documentation yeah. was released saying alien invasion war plan. But it wouldn't surprise me if contingency planners at the Ministry of Defence and elsewhere have thought about it. There, there are, as you say, disaster plans in place for everything from an asteroid strike to a global flu pandemic. Um, I think what would happen is that we would very quickly adapt some of the war plans that we have for more conventional conflicts with other countries and maybe which is a real serious potential issue the kind of biological hazard that might come from encountering extraterrestrial life forms and and so for example the the plans that we have for things like um uh chemical and biological terror attacks might might be brought into play i mean if if there was a you know, people say, for example, what would happen if aliens landed on the White House lawn? Well, actually, the first thing you'd want to do is quarantine it. Mm. Yeah. And again, that goes back to that nice parallel with um, explorers finding the new world and bringing their own microbes. Mm. One last question I'd like to ask you, Nick, is um, if you were lucky, stroke, unlucky enough to be the first man on Earth to meet an extraterrestrial, what would you show them to convince them that we were actually quite a cool planet. (laughs) I would probably show them our culture. And and by our culture, I I don't mean take them to the movies. I I mean take them to somewhere like Florence and and show them some of the spectacular artwork that that we've produced. And, you know, one of the most amazing Ministry of Defence documents recently declassified actually said if aliens are visiting us obviously their technology is way ahead of ours so we're not going to they're not going to be interested in our science and technology um and the the assessment went on to say there remain three possibilities one uh, military reconnaissance two scientific study three tourism and i love that idea so yeah show them show them um you know the the 
artworks of Botticelli, show them the sculptures of Michelangelo, take them to the Grand Canyon, um, show them that sort of thing, and say, look, you know, we've got a pretty nice planet down here. Um, you know, we'd rather appreciate it if you didn't zap it with some sort of alien death ray. <laughs> I just love the idea of taking them to the Grand Canyon then. Should we just pop into Vegas and we'll go for a drink and just <laughs> show them around? Um, yeah. Do you have a favourite sort of alien invasion movie? Like, do you have one in particular that... Well, my favourite alien movie is, is probably Contact. Now, it's not an alien invasion movie, but I think it's a, it's a more thoughtful take on, on all of this. And ultimately, it's about, I think, how we'd react. So you could say it's not about aliens, it's about us. But actually, in terms of the science, it, it's all based on things that are actually happening. We are listening for signals for alien civilizations as we speak. I mean, radio telescopes all around the world are scanning the skies for, for proof of this. And that day may come very soon. It's a good movie. Yeah. And if it does come, then hopefully you've had some, uh, some grounding in the Bureau XCOM Declassified, and that should help you with the alien invasion. <laughs> uh, Nick Pope, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Nick Pope. I'm now going to buy a tin hat. Uh, for the foreseeable future oh. so uh, yeah I'll pop that on now um, let's move on to feedback uh, I have an email here from um, Toby he says he's a long time fan he's a fan of long time is so, he? yeah they're my favourite band as well yeah. he's a fan long time um, he has so racist um, written a list of people who could play Lex Luthor in the new Superman movie obviously this is on the back of Brian Cranston saying he would like to play Lex Luthor yeah well, kind of hinting. He said, he said he'd like, be give me a call. Or something. Yeah, interesting. But it hasn't yeah, somebody already been lined up? Um, no, I thought they had. Uh, Mark Strong is yeah. rumored. Yeah. He says they watch just... this space because he's bald, <laughs> and he's he's good at bad guys. All right, here we go. Uh, this is Toby's uh, five people. Um, are you writing these down, Daniel? Uh, number five, Woody Harrelson. That's a curveball. He may not look like Luther, but I think he could pull it off. He's great at being the crazy. I don't think he's charming enough. No, I also don't think he can do sort of intelligent either. He always he always strikes. He's always a bit of a hick, isn't he? Yeah, a bit mm. thick. Number he's four. not though, is he? He's, he's fiercely intelligent. In real is life. he? Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell, yeah. Is he really? Mm-hmm. Wow. But he is bald in real life, so that is true. Yeah. Save okay. money on budget. Number four, a bald Tom Hardy. <laughs> I don't know why he has to preface that he's going to be bald? We know he's bald. Tom Hardy's not bald in real life. He says he's great. And changing how he... I think he said means he's great at changing how he looks and acts. That's basically saying acting. he's an actor. He's an actor, yeah. <laughs> he's good at, at He acting. is good at acting, Toby. I get He your is point. very good. He's a very good actor. Again, Could he actually, be... Actually, he'd, he'd be good. But I think he's already done Warner Brothers and villains for yeah. them. So, unlikely. Number three, Benedict Cumberach. He actually... No, he actually calls him Cucumberach. Does he? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he says, after Star Trek, I think he can play a very mad but smart villain. Yeah, but he doesn't want to... The problem is, I don't. he won't want to play another villain, will he? No. He's, you don't know that. You think so, though? I don't know. Mm. Number two, uh, Idris Elba, because it's Idris Elba. That would be good. Yeah, a black Lex Luthor, I'd, I'd buy into that. Blex Bluther. Does that work? Well, I don't know what you're going for, so it depends. Black Bluther. What are the criteria? Oh, I see. Um, no, is that um, just because he's got he is Luther? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's felt differently. Number I've, one, I've already got some business cards. You just got to tip X the first name out. Number one, he suggests Anthony Hopkins. 
Wow. Uh, when Anthony Hopkins is good, he's good. Um, but, uh, I mean, Anthony Hopkins is a great actor. And uh, do, do you want to hear my curveball suggestion? Go on. James Franco. I think he'd make a great Lex Luthor. Really? Why? Because he's an actor and he could shave his head. It's like any of them. <laughs> any of them. Any of them. <laughs> but I think he's sort of, he can do sort of menacing. He can do, um, he can obviously be... he's done superhero villains before, but yeah. I think this would be a good chance for him to sort of shine as sort of a... Are they gonna, do you think they're going to go for a very physical actor? Do you think they're, they're going to go for, like, fight scenes and stuff like that with this Lex Luthor? I don't I think, think so. He can never really do that, can he, unless they get the mech suit or something like he's created that's a product of his mind. Mm. So otherwise, it's just not going to be a fight, is it? It's going to be Batman hitting him mm. or Superman just... Something. I'd like to see... Oh, oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as well would make a good Ooh, Lex Luthor. Oh, yes. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah. Peter Dinklage. Fuck it. Let's get Peter Dinklage in. He can mo-cap him. Yeah. Yeah. I think any of them, any of the actors... Let's do what they did for that Dylan film and get loads of different actors portraying him all the way throughout. What they'll do is they'll give him words that make him sound like Lex Luthor. And they'll also get clothes that'll help. Yeah. And then... The rest will just fall into place. Brilliant. But thanks, thanks for writing in, Toby. Um, feel free to write in again. Uh, just not about Lex Luthor. No, no, it's fine. Anything, but tell us about Long Time. They sound like a great band. <laughs> um, Adam Fear says, Pardon? Hey, gang. Did you just sigh instead Fear. of pronouncing his surname? Fear. Fear. I'm going to go with Adam. Hey, gang, just wondering what you think is the most memorable moment or the most recognised moment in cinema. For me, it has to be the opening fight scene in Empire Strikes Back on the, Hoth. The most memorable moment in cinema? That is a very iconic sequence, though, isn't wow. it? Wow. Difficult one. That's a difficult one. Well, it comes as no great surprise to anyone who listens to the podcast regularly that it's probably Jurassic Park, and it's the moment that you first see um, Brontosaurus, I think. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, the I most like, yeah. memorable moment or recognised moment. I said, I mean, spoilers. It's, I mean, his Empire Strikes Back moment is the uh, the reveal, obviously, um, of who Vader is. Not saying anything. No. Um, so I, is he saying our most memorable or the most memorable? Everybody's most memorable. Oh. I quite like the train when it pulls into the station. That's going back a bit. That's yeah. probably not what many people have seen. Your first movie, yeah. I like that. Uh, one. The horse in the he- horse's head in the bed. I like the bit in seriously the bit in the Graduate where Benjamin, where where it's that jump cut from Benjamin getting up on the inflatable mattress in the pool and then he like suddenly that. falls on top of his lover. It's an amazing jump cut in that movie. Never seen the Graduate. It's one of the fucking best films ever made. You need to watch. Do you know it. what the age difference between Dustin Hoffman and uh, what's she called? Anne Bancroft was no. Something tiny, it's like four or five years. Yeah. It's like um, Indiana Jones uh, and The Last Crusade, like um, Sean, Sean Connery plays Harrison Ford's dad, but there's like 12 years in between. That's right. Them. He's um, pre- precocious. <laughs> it's, it's funny how like the most memorable moments in cinema or the most iconic moments in cinema generally don't really come from the highest grossing films. You know, like, so if you think, in, think about Avatar... And you wouldn't say there's a single moment in there which is, like, the most iconic moment in no, cinema that will ever get, like, lampooned we- and repeated. Think about Titanic. Of course, you've got the, the, the scene at the front of the boat. Yeah. King of the world and all that nonsense. Isn't that the prow? Is that the prow? Uh, what's, the, what's the pointy end of the boat? Pointy end? Yeah. The front bit? Yeah. There you go. You're going to look it up? Yeah. The front bit. Um, 
So yeah, that's I don't know what my point was, but um, yeah, it's weird that they come from movies that maybe aren't the biggest, most successful movies. Well, but... uh, Hannibal Lecter in his hockey mask. There you go. That's a, that's that's a moment, isn't it? Yeah, iconic moment. Maybe we should. But a bone being thrown up in 2001? Yeah, see, that's a good one. Mm. There's probably lists out there for the most iconic moments in movies. Yeah, but that's not our iconic moments. That's somebody else's list. Here's uh, Johnny. I'll tell you what is a good one. Here's Johnny, of course. Yes, the ending of Blade Runner. The tears in the rain and all that sort of nonsense. Yeah. What a moment. Well, what about the ending of the original Planet of the Apes? Yes. Oh, there you great, go. Great, great yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, we're just listing things now. I like this. I could go on all day doing this. Let us know yours. Your iconic moment in cinema. IGN UK f- IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Yeah. Don't forget the underscore, otherwise it'll just disappear disappear into the ether. It's called a bow, but it's also known as the prow. Ah, okay. And what's the what's the thick end at the back called then? Back. The bum end. <laughs> <laughs> My mum calls the end of baguettes the bum end. Does she? Yeah, don't the bum end. Oh. No, I don't want the bum end. <laughs> well, that... Ironically, I do. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, if you search for, 100, uh, for the most iconic mo- movie moments, the number one result is top 100 movie moments from IGN. Hey! So, yeah. If you want to know what, what that was. was. Yeah, oh, just no. have a have a... I helped put that list together. <laughs> I haven't got a fucking clue what was <laughs> Uh, who's this? Adam Horsfield. Hello, Adam. I'm a frequent cinema goer, but I find myself getting more and more annoyed recently that the ads showed prior to the film starting. It's getting to me so much, I'm starting to take sound-isolating earphones so I don't have to listen to them. Flipping heck. That aside, at the moment, there are some terrible film trailers with Justin and the Knights of Valor being the one that sticks out really as being really, really bad. I haven't seen that. Have you seen that? Problem is, um, I ditched my Cineworld card not long ago, so I haven't actually been to the normal... Like, he was just saying, Cineworld Unlimited cinema. card is the best thing ever. You've exposed, oh, it is. You've I mean, exposed yourself there. As a, I, I've, I, yeah, I've, as I've a changed. Lo- as a London type. Yeah. So whilst I've you know, been to a, a normal screening. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't get to see them very often, but uh, I know when I was there, like the Orange Wednesdays ones are particularly uh, eye-clawingly bad. Yeah. Uh, and Full of scum, basically, with what Tom's saying. Uh, well, no, I know. It's just that you know that those adverts are 30 seconds long and you just want to, like... Fast I know what he does, but I, Sam can say headphones is a great idea. Mm. It's a great idea. What, per- what you need in cinemas, though, are twat cancelling headphones for all the twats that sit there making a noise. Yeah. What's your, what's, your, what's your number one pet peeve in the cinema? People on their phones. Yeah. Bang. Simple as that. People taking dumps. Yeah. But even just the lighting up of the phone. Yeah. Irritating as fuck. Well, I remember I sat at the back of a, I think it was like Scream 4 or something, and that was on an Orange Wednesday. And it's people who don't usually go to the cinema. They don't know the etiquette. Yeah. And I could see phones lighting up all across the auditorium. It's like a Christmas tree. That's why I always sit at the front. Why? So is... I'd have less... What? They're just idiots. Uh, yeah, and without risk of sounding like an old bore, but um, like when groups of kids go together, like I, I was probably the same when I was about 10 or 11. Like when I remember going to see Batman forever <laughs> um, and uh, just like talking and, you know, like generally conversing with each other. But mm. when you go see horror movies in particular or comedies, that uh, I find they're the worst. Oh, know, it was, it was um, in Pain and Game when we saw that the other week. There was a guy behind us. I don't know if you heard him. He, he was. He thought he was being really smart because he would say he would say what he thought would happen in the next scene. Oh god! So there's a bit where it's really obvious as well. It's not like he was making some massive inference. He'd be like, "Oh, you know, he's got this thing in on Bermuda. He could hear this guy going, probably got some Bermuda next." <laughs> Fuck off! Fuck off, mate. 
keep your Adam, opinions to yourself. Adam was actually asking, uh, what film trailers stuck out in your mind for being absolutely awful or for being absolutely brilliant? Does he mean film trailers or trailers that are shown before films? Trailers for films. I think he means trailers for films. I think what you're referring to are what's known as day sets and policy announcements. Okay. All right? So he's referring to... Can I just give a <laughs> shout-out to anyone from Lincoln who remembers the cinema there, the Ritz, because that was the only cinema in Lincoln for a long time. It was one screen. Uh, I saw Jurassic Park there, Indiana Jones, uh, Last Crusade, all these... Uh, Batman Forever, all these... Big movies. And there used to be a, a reel of trailers that used to run before the film for local businesses. And there was one for um, a particular garage that used to come up a lot. Um, and there was one for the, the cycle company in Lincoln. They, all, they used to play every single time and they would drive you absolutely nuts. But what I wouldn't give to watch them again... Uh, anyway, yeah. So if anyone from Lincoln remembers those, you should check out YouTube because there are loads yeah. of those types of old ads really? on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. I can sit there for hours looking at that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because when I used to have a proper film collection, I used to, you know, proper reels and reels and reels of film. What I used to enjoy was splicing together all the stuff before the main film. So I'd like start with a cartoon and then a couple of trailers and then like Pearl and Dean ads and stuff like that. And it was great fun to build this little kind of yeah, thing for, for people to, to experience. Yeah, it's great. Shakespeare Street Garage, Shakespeare Street Lincoln. <laughs> I, yeah, Just four miles that. from this, four minutes from this cinema. Yes. Um, but in terms of good trailers and bad trailers, I reckon we should leave that open to the people to write in and tell us their favourite. Good shout. Uh, trailers and least favourite trailers. Um, email number four here from Lee Madden. Uh, he wants to say that him and his brother are big fans of the podcast and think that we do a cracking job. Thank you, Lee. Uh, he says, in a tribute to the upcoming Metal Gear Legacy collection, he wanted to propose a cast for the inevitable film. Um, it's something that he often talks about after having had a few beers. He would like to know what he, we think on his thoughts for the cast. So you ready for this? Yeah. So he would like to see Michael Bean as um, Snake. So Michael Bean, obviously from Aliens. Yeah. Isn't he a bit old now? Yeah, he'd be, he, he's quite old now, but he'd like to bring him back as a grizzled old soldier. <laughs> um, Raiden would be Ryan Reynolds, because uh, he, he can do kick-ass and comedic. Uh, Liquid Snake, he, could, he would want Hugh Jackman or Sean Bean. Either way, just someone with a gravelly voice. Right. Yeah. Uh, Solidus Snake, he would want Liam Neeson. Uh, Sniper Wolf, he'd want Mila Jovovich. Uh, Otakan, Killian Murphy, he's got a good voice. That's good, that, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ocelot, he'd like uh, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Naomi Hunter, Naomi Hunter, he'd like Mia Wazikowska. Is that how you say it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, she was she, in that. She was in that film uh, recently like. she, that I didn't like. Um, yeah, can't forget. I can't. Stoker, Stoker. There I really go. liked it. You didn't. Yeah. Uh, Psycho Mantis, he'd like Steve Buscemi. I've got Steve Buscemi and everything, basically. Um, yeah. And then Fat Man, he'd like Ray Liotta. Steve Buscemi is Lex Luthor. No, he's too Wiry? weedy. What? Oh, he's too weedy. But I think they should go for weedy then. Do you think? Yeah, why I not? I don't think he should be physically imposing. No. But... Um, he's also coming to London on Friday the 23rd and Saturday 24th and wants to know if he'd like to go for a beer. I'm busy. Uh, interesting, Liam, uh, your brother, uh, sorry, Lee, your brother is coming down when we're holding a screening of your next. So stay tuned to IGN for details so, on how you can claim tickets for excellent. that weekend. So yes, in a way. Good. So yes, come hang out. Um, James Amphlett has written in. He says, I've been listening and laughing since December 2010. You should see a doctor about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't join until May 
20... Oh, anyway. Um, you were all talking about the length of films. Now, I've, I think this was about Lone Ranger last week, which is saying none of us could be doing with it because it's two hours 30. Um, now, I've recently noticed that I, I no longer have much tolerance for long films. I was obsessed with films when I was a teenager, and I always wanted my favourite films to be much longer. Now that I'm 35, I find my attention wandering, and I get bored very easily. Man of Steel, Pacific Rim, Transformers, any Judd Apatow comedy, just being a few examples. In the last 10 years, I have found TV more interesting and the episode time more palatable. Are films too long? Are the films not good enough to warrant the length? Or is it just my aging, aging attention span? Hmm. Have you found that, Stuart, getting older? I've forgotten what the question was, love. I think it, films just don't warrant the, the running time because the stories aren't there anymore. So you're saying if the story's there, running time is just It's not an issue, yeah. Still, it's, it's, that's still the same principle. Some of the best films ever made are really long movies. Gone with the Wind, Lawrence of Arabia, Godfather and Godfather Part Two. Not particularly short movies. Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now goes on forever. But, but absolutely gripping there from you start go. to finish. You see? Whereas something else, I, I, I sat through, well, we sat through Upstream Colour the other week, which is allegedly mm. 94 minutes long. It felt like forever. So what was the last really long film that you can think of that was good? What I'm saying is, I don't know, because those films come from a certain era in cinema, do we... Yeah, it's controversial, but um, I actually think, I know Stuart's going to turn his nose up, but I think Avatar is actually a great example of a long movie which actually keeps your attention. I probably have to agree with you, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't... didn't, Yeah, I I thought it, it did... Keep your interest all the way through. There weren't. There, there was no point during Avatar when I when I looked at my watch or thought, "My God, this is just going on." But then that is so rare. I mean, even the last Batman movie, I was doing that. Yeah, Batman movies are the the last two have been long, but I would disagree. I think they've been they've been they've been well paced. I think. Really? Yeah. Okay. But I think bad exam bad, bad films that are long and just go on, like the Pirates of the Caribbean. The last I haven't seen the fourth one, but the last two. It's just bibble. It's just it, it almost feels like padding a lot it of the does, time. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And why pad for extra minutes when you could have a more succinct running time and keep people's attention? And the stupid that. thing is, cinemas used to hate long films because it meant they'd get less screenings in a day. So films, you know, classic films like your Lawrence of Arabia's and stuff like that. And a, another good example is a, a, an American comedy. It's a mad, 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 mad world. The original running time for that, bearing in mind it was a comedy, was something like two hundred minutes. Wow. Which is, you know, well over three hours in length. That's a mad, 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 and so mad it was, time. It was cut and then cut and then cut and then cut and then cut again to make it more palatable for smaller cinemas to run it uh, so they could get more screenings in a day. And then you're left with situations where 20, 30, 40 years later, they're desperately scrabbling around trying to find all bits that they've cut from the original negative to make the film back as it, as it, as it should have been shown. So, I don't know. I mean, long films, all films to me feel too long these days. Pretty much all of them. But I think it is, I think, coming back to his point, I think it is also, the busier you get, the more bite-sized things become, the, the, the more easy, the more palatable it becomes to sort of digest. You know, watch an episode of something a night. Well, yeah, but you take something like Breaking Bad or, or Game of Thrones, you have an hour's worth of television there, which, which is so packed and so well-paced and so well put together. What, what, what it, happens is, like, you, a great example, you always say, like, I don't have time to watch stuff. But, for instance, something comes along like House of Cards and you were you're watching multiple episodes at a time, weren't you? Yeah. So you were consuming that, you know, almost probably, like, what, two, three hours a, in, a, in the evening? Yeah, maybe not three, but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess it's, yeah... 
What's your point? <laughs> My point is you like House of Cards. I do like House of Cards, yeah, and I've started watching Breaking Bad, so... Good on you. No, basically, I think the point comes back to is the quality of it. Yeah. yeah. And if the quality is good enough, it justifies watching more and extending that, you know, the amount of time that you sat in one place. Yeah. The, the length of something does not guarantee... Quality. Pleasure. Quality. Or yeah. pleasure. Yeah. And, you know, some of the, some of the be- most entertaining things that you can watch are short films. Like, you, mm. watch a five-minute short film and have your mind blown. It's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. I'm watching The Office, the US version of The Office at the moment, and th- those episodes are 20 minutes long. And I'll sit down and I'll watch six episodes in a night. Yeah. I'll, I'll just watch two hours worth. And yeah. it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. I don't get bored with it. Yeah. Uh, if you could only choose... This is Noah Graham written in. If you could only choose one of two existed, what would it have been? The video game industry or the movie industry? That's an easy one for you. Which... Sorry. Only one of those things. If you could choose for only one of those things to have existed, the video game industry or the movie industry, what would you choose? So there's no knowledge of the other one having ever existed. I guess so, yes. Wouldn't video games be a very different beast, though? God. Oh, mate, this is a weird... Yeah, because if... Well... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, right, no... I've oh, never God. seen you two look so bemused. Until, until very recently, into the last 30 years, if you took away the video game industry, you'd have still this, largely the same movie industry. So you'd pick that one because it would be relatively unchanged. You'd have a, a, if you, a larger you'd have, you'd have a much library. more impoverished video game industry if you took away the movie industry. But if we're saying they're both thematically sealed... Yeah. Well, I guess looking forward... You'd probably want to just have the video game industry because you'll think you'll be able to get the sort of experiences you get. I don't even know what my point is, but I think I think video games at the moment are at a turning point where they're kind of emer- emerging in, and they're have, they're acquiring the confidence to be their own thing. Whereas yeah. I think for a long time they've kind of laboured under that anxiety of influence where they want to be like cinema have taken beats from that and there's still games that do that but yeah. I think more and more they're becoming their own thing yeah so yeah there you go seven I'd take the last hundred years of movies yeah. I'll take the next hundred years of games brilliant I have an email here from Jeremy Graves um, he has a slightly random question here uh, relating to the upcoming Final Fantasy X plus X2 HD collection he said there was news on the 30-minute audio episode this week, but has it been confirmed if this collection will include Last Mission? As far as I'm aware, there's never been a localised version of this feature, as far as he's aware, um, but it would be cool if there was. Now, none of us here are Final Fantasy um, aficionados, but Luke is, and Luke has given Stuart the answer to this question. Uh, the answer, according to Luke Kamali, is yes. So the Final Fantasy X plus X2 HD collection will include The Last Mission. Yes. Confirmed. There you go, Jeremy. Thanks for writing in. Do, the, we, do we get to sack Luke if that's wrong? Yeah. Yeah. All right. He's, he's on the warning anyway. Um, David Trevino. He's written in quite a few times, hasn't he, David? Um, I am about ready to buy a new 3DS game. I only buy one every month or so. I wanted to get your opinion on what game I should buy next. He's been playing Animal Crossing, Tom. You, you would probably say he doesn't you. need another game. <laughs> Uh, I'm coming to the end of it now. Right now, I'm thinking either Mario and Luigi Dream Team or Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon. What is your opinion? Or am I missing a gem that is out right now? Um, You're the one that's played both of those. I reviewed Dream Team. Keza reviewed Luigi's Mansion. We've ruined a lot of Nintendo games this year. I would say 
Luigi's Mansion, Dark Moon. Um, unless you're a big fan of the Mario and Luigi RPGs, and even if you are, Dream Team is really kind of a bit slow and probably the least good. Yeah. And I'm saying that quite intentionally because it is still good. It's not a bad game, but it's the least good of all the Mario and Luigi RPGs. Luigi's Mansion is good fun. Luigi's Mansion is great. It's a bit of a yarn of a video game, I think. It'd be great. Maybe we save it till next month, October, Halloween month. Oh, good call. Or the month after next evening. All right. So, yeah, Luigi's Mansion. Uh, what's this? Uh, Francis Siberini. Hey, guys, the other day I had one of the most vivid dreams imaginably possible. I was in the Last of Us universe at a camp during a zombie attack. It was so lifelike and scary, exclamation mark. It obviously came from my time playing Last of Us, probably, yeah. My question for you all is, have you ever had a dream heavily influenced by a game? And with the higher levels of realism and escapism video games can offer, do you think gamers will be able to experience more clear dreams? Stay awesome. Cheers. Does that is that how it works? If you have better quality uh, visuals in video games, you get better dreams. Is that a thing? I don't think that's been scientific. I had when I was a child and I had my first Game Boy. There was a game on there called Oh shit! It was a football game and it was it was like a top down game. So I'm be able to tell me what the name of the game was. And there was a way where, like from kickoff, there was a guaranteed way you could score a goal. So I would play this game repeatedly, and basically there was a glitch in the game, and I'd just keep playing it. And it got to the point where I was playing it so much and winning so many games by that goal, I would dream about that particular sort of muscle movement, mm. um, and I would dream about this particular game. And obviously the Game Boy graphics aren't that impressive, so I think the graphics really don't have that much to do with it. But I would dream about scoring a goal in this game. About you? I don't, I don't dream. Never? No. Do you wow. seriously not dream? I don't. I can't really remember the last time I had a dream. No. Is that a medical thing? I don't. I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only kind of I, the, I only have really one dream, and it's when I'm particularly anxious. I don't know. It's not interesting. It's just me. T- it's just about I've not revised for exams. I always get it when I'm kind of when you haven't worried, revised for exams. Worried, yeah, worried <laughs> about work. Um, I did have a dream about Guardians of the Galaxy the other night. I don't know why, but... See, I want that. I want to have dreams about being in Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Anyway. <laughs> what about you, Stuart? I don't want to ask what your dreams are. No, you don't want to know. I don't dream about it, no. I don't think I've, the only thing... If I, if I play a game for, like, three or four hours before bedtime, though, I can't sleep. I go to bed and I'm, like, really wired because I'm still thinking about the game. But, no, I, don't, I wouldn't dream about it. hope that answers your question. Andrew Voak he says, um, I've bought tickets to go with my friend for my 30th birthday. This is Gamescom. It's Gamescom, by yeah. the way, sorry. And it will be my first gaming convention, so I'm stupidly giddy with excitement. If you guys are about then, it would be great if you, um, if you take advantage of that giddiness by making me buy you all a drink or three for your sterling work. It's nice, isn't it? That'd be good. I, I, bet go- you, I bet you Alex will take you up on that offer. Are we going, are we going to Gamescom? Are we bothering? Because it's, qui- it's a quiet year for video games. You're not. You're on holiday. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm off. <laughs> you, you've, you're going camping. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm going, Alex is going, Every is Everyone's, going. pretty much everyone's going. You're not going, Tom. Apart from me. And me. You're on holiday, though. You chose yeah. not to go. I did choose not to go. You, you're sending Mr. Richard Burpark. I have been to Gamescom. Yeah, and then quite a few people from the US team are coming over as well. Um, Scott, Colin, Ryan, Goldfarb. Yeah, the good so, ones. <laughs> the ones Tom likes. <laughs> um, so we're all going to be hanging out and... Yeah, it might be... Drinking seeing, tiny beers, I seeing, imagine. Seeing all the video games. Um, 
There are loads of games there, though. Yeah, so uh, we're going to have loads of coverage. We're going to have a lot of video presence there. So all the new games will bring you, um, to bring all that stuff to IGN, and we're going to be at all the press conferences as well. So if there's agent, you know, more Xbox U-turns or a price drop, <laughs> we'll, we'll get. You'll be dizzy. Yeah, we'll we'll write it up at some point. Um, we're, so, po- we're podcasting from there as well next week. You're podcasting from there next week, I should say. Yeah. Yep. Excited? You're excited about seeing while you're there? Um, this is going to sound really spoiled, but I've been to Gamescom twice now. And the first year was my first year in the games industry in general, so it was kind of exciting. Second year, it was really kind of flat last year because... There was a lot of people absent there, wasn't it? Microsoft wasn't there, Nintendo wasn't there. It felt like less of an event. It felt like it was dying as a convention. Um, It's just like console, this generation just was fatigued. And then this year, I I look at my appointments and I'm seeing loads of interesting games I've not seen or played, get my hands on with the new consoles. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I think if you're going to go to a Gamescom, this is the one to be at. So you've picked a good year, Andrew. But it's going to be hella busy. And smelly. Nothing to do with Germans. Um, well, okay. uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess is there a particular night that the meetup might happen? Or I, I don't know what our schedule is at the moment, but I reckon probably I would say Wednesday or Thursday night would be a good bet. So, yeah, keep an eye out on um, everyone's sort of individual Twitter feeds. I'm sure if there's a meetup happening, I'm sure we'll we'll let you know. One night, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, let us know how you got on at Gamescom and um, sort your game of the show, Andrew. Once you come back, please do. Uh, let us know about everything and anything in the known universe and even the unknown universe IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com we will see you from Germany next week until then thank you very much for listening Auf Wiedersehen <laughs>